It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Was that computer that tore us apart, dear? Automation broke my heart. There's an RCA 503 standing next to me, dear, where you used to be. Doesn't have your smile Doesn't have your shape Just a bunch of punch cards And light bulbs and tape Dear You're a girl who's soft Warm and sweet But you're only human And that's obsolete Though I'm very fond of 503 Dear Automation's not For Me It was Automation I'm told That's why I got fired And I'm out In the cold How could I have known When the 503 started in to blink, it was winking at me, dear. I thought it was just some mishap when it sidled over and sat on my lap. 
But when it said I love you and gave me a hug, dear, that's when I pulled out its plug. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with the uh, the uh, president and CEO of Goodwill Industries International, Stephen Preston, about the future of jobs. And we're going to spend this first couple hours kind of looking at automation and uh, the future in the middle of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with uh, the author of a new book called Frankie about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, robots and the like. It should should be very interesting. Um, The guest name is uh, Bruce Price, and he'll be joining me coming up, as I said, in the middle of our three-hour tour. But we start out first, and I said we were going to look at the future, with um, a really fun, interesting... uh, guest. Um, She is a frequent contributor to National Geographic Kids magazine and a prolific author of books about science and nature for kids. Some of her favorite uh, titles for National Geographic Kids are Beneath the Waves, about the fantastic diversity of ocean life, surprising stories of everyday stuff, about the weird histories of objects from ketchup to frisbees, and the book of heroines. She lives in Los Angeles, and she uh, hooked up with National Geographic Kids to write a book called Ultimate Book of the Future. She says, the uh, future is no longer some far-off fictional world. It's being shaped right now. And uh, this book is incredible and genius and totally real tech that will change life as you know it. She explores what life will be like in uh, the years to come, up to uh, around 2050. Anyway, her name is uh, Stephanie Drimmer. And, uh, excuse me. Anyway, it's uh, about flying cars, rockets, and robots. that are no longer just sci-fi fantasy. It's the ultimate book of the future. And I hope you enjoyed uh, our show yesterday, um, a tribute to Father's Day, a day late, maybe a dollar short, depending on your point of view. But uh, but we had some great guests, and I hope you enjoyed listening to um, Kari Loya, who wrote about him and his 75-year-old dad taking a bike uh, uh, bicycle ride across country took him 73 days and uh, we also talked with the uh, son and daughters of some very famous people including uh, uh, Mark Shriver and uh, Ann Serling and uh, also Victoria Price so anyway kind of a fun look at uh, Father's Day 
through the eyes of uh, some famous father's kids. And uh, anyway, let's uh, let's take off for Back to the Future and uh, and start out with Nat Geo Kids uh, contributor Stephanie Drum. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, my guest this hour, this is going to be really fun as we uh, take a leap forward in time with um, the author of a new book from National Geographic Kids called Ultimate Book of the Future, which, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, and the, uh, and the caption uh, under the title is Incredible, Ingenious, and Totally Real Tech That Will Change Life As You Know It, From Flying Cars to Super Smart Robots in Cities of Tomorrow, courtesy of a frequent contributor to National Geographic Kids Magazine and a prolific author of books about science and nature for kids. Um, author Stephanie Warren Drimmer, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Stephanie, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, Stephanie, how did you get interested in tech? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think I have sort of a kid-level curiosity about the world um, as a kid (laughs) author. And uh, so, I mean, there's really not a topic that I don't think you can delve into and find something interesting about. Tech is, of course, something that's super interesting, changing all of our lives. Um, So many amazing innovations that, you know, I really had to put a limit on what I could include in the book. So, uh, you know, everything that's in here had to just wow me uh, in order to in order to make it. So I hope it wows readers as well. How much of tech has been developed intentionally from things we imagined, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and how much was um, discovered almost accidentally? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think it's quite a mix. I think that a lot of the things that we imagine that we would have 20, 30 years ago, um, we have a lot of them, but maybe they're in a different way than we thought. You know, I think when we imagined robots, for example, we thought they would be sort of walking, talking, humanoid robots. And, you know, there is some of that, but mostly what we have are robots that don't look like people that are designed specifically for the job they do. Um, and while we may not really think of them as those kind of robots, we all have robots in our homes. I, I have a robot vacuum. I'm sure a lot of your listeners do too. And um, that's a real-life robot that uh, it just may not look like a person. Um, as far as inventions that were discovered by accident, there's a ton of that, and those are always fun stories. One of my favorite from this book is... Um, Scientists in uh, were investigating a dump in, I believe, Japan when they discovered um, something really strange. It was this totally new kind of bacteria that had evolved the ability to eat PET, which um, is a common ingredient in plastic bottles. Um, so this bacteria had figured out a way to actually survive off of our trash. And what's weirder is while scientists were investigating it, it evolved even more. It mutated the ability to have an even bigger appetite for trash. Um, 
So that molecule can break down PET in just a few days, and that's a process that normally takes about 450 years. So that is a completely accidental discovery that scientists are hoping to harness and could help us get rid of our big trash problem. And and what does that suggest about other kinds of um, materials that we've found difficult to discard? And, and I'm thinking of... Uh, like like something really toxic, like nuclear waste, if there was some way to find something that digested nuclear waste, it that seems like it would be a, a tremendous leap forward in terms of alternative, uh, alternative energy. Absolutely, and, and I think, you know, there are tons of people working on uh, all of these all of these different ways to digest all of these different materials. I think the thing about the future is that we, the problems we think we're going to have are not the problems that we end up having. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, we could not have imagined a world shaped by the Internet the way that it is. Um, and, you know, everyone being addicted to their phones and dealing with mental health issues from social media, those are those are problems we never imagined that we would have when we thought about the future, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to predict what's going to come out. What are some of the highlights from, from this new book, from Nat Geo Kids, that, uh, that you worked on? Um, Ultimate Book of the Future. It, it uh, sort of portends an average day in the year 2050. How, how would an average day in 2050 be different than 2022? Right. So the idea was, um, you know, let's not talk about sort of far-off future technology that might happen in a few hundred years. Let's give kids an idea of the world that they're really going to live in. And so, um, with a few exceptions that are intentional, every piece of technology in this book is something that is, you know, in development. It has a prototype. It, it has a patent. There's somebody working on it. Um, are they all going to become, you know, ubiquitous? Of course not. But this is, like, really real technology that, that's happening right now, and I, I think that that makes it, it pretty exciting. Um, as far as how the average day might go... Um, I think one thing that will kind of change your everyday life is smart clothing. Um, this is something that, you know, we don't really have at all yet. Our clothing is not that much different from clothing that humans have always worn. Um, but there's all kinds of devices coming out for everything from, you know, an umbrella that will ping your phone if you leave it somewhere, which is great for absent-minded people like me who are perpetually leaving their umbrellas. Um, to um, my the thing that I'm most excited about in terms of smart clothing is uh, someone is developing a special fabric that contains these microscopic structures that emit energy when they're exposed to light. And what they can do is actually clean uh, your clothing while you're wearing it. So if you're out to lunch and you drop some ketchup on your shirt, um, your shirt could clean itself. And I think the idea of a future where there is no laundry is pretty appealing. Well, yeah. Um, more about future tech with Nat Geo Kids contributor Stephanie Warren Drimmer. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about future tech with Nat Geo Kids contributor Stephanie Warren Drimmer. Straight ahead. You know, when you talk about robots, one of the next things that, that pops in my mind, and, and there's a lot of technology that we're using now that was only imagined when I was growing up, you know, way, way back <laughs> in the olden days. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I remember, for example, watching uh, the Jetsons, the cartoon The Jetsons, and they had flying cars and these cities that floated in the clouds and um, and they they talk to each other on video screens. And here during the pandemic, we found ourselves, you know, more and more people um, updating their their technology so that they could zoom, so that they could talk over video screens with other people and work from home, go to school at home. And, and and really just for family members to stay in touch with each other. Um, and and that's going on right now. But with artificial intelligence, what kinds of things are likely to happen that we might not even have imagined yet? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. What, what, what can we not imagine? Um, I think artificial intelligence is, is definitely changing everything. Um, as far as as far as what technology people aren't really aware of happening, but is happening, um, I think flying cars are a great example. Um, flying cars are something that people have been predicting for over a hundred years as being just right around the corner. Um, and I think it would surprise a lot of people. It certainly surprised me to learn that the first flying car came out in 1911, the first prototype. Oh, um, see, now the oldest one the, that I'm familiar with is from like the mid-50s. That's amazing, right, 1911. Right. Wow. Right. So I think, you know, it's been, you know, over a century that we've thought, well, flying cars, that's just right around the corner, and yet it's never happened. Um but now this is one piece of technology that is really happening right now. There are a ton of working prototypes. Um, we have the technology. There are companies working on sort of the logistical side, you know, where are flying cars going to take off uh, and land um, and sort of figuring out the first locations where that's going to happen. Isn't um, there probably going to be... Isn't there a city in, in Florida that, that has a... a a flying car um, that's shuttling people from from one town to the next um, already. Oh gosh, you know it's possible. In a very, it's, it's, it's in a very so limited. Fast. It's in a very limited way, but um, and and it's quite expensive. But but it's actually in a trial phase, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of these companies that are that are in trial phases. You're right, and um, you know probably the first places that we're going to see this available to the masses is in sort of high transit, um, short distance trips. So, for example, um, a lot of people have proposed that the trek between Manhattan and JFK Airport would be a great place to start with flying cars. Um, I used to live in New York, and I can tell you from experience that trip takes over an hour on the subway and it's not the most pleasant um so the idea of a flying car that could do it in about six minutes is pretty exciting 
<laughs> I would think that'd be uh, preferred. Um, now, this gets into uh, speculation uh, again, um, but just um, oh, fairly recently, um, people started talking about uh, the idea that, that robots and artificial intelligence would take over um, jobs to the point where there might not be enough jobs for people and we might have to look at doing um, a different kind of economy and that's where we started hearing people talk about uh, universal basic income and and some of these kinds of things but what are the chances that we would actually, as 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 a labor force, be displaced by the technology that's evolving. I think the chances are pretty good. I mean, not in the immediate future, but definitely in the far future. Um, you know, they like to say that robots are designed to do jobs that are too dirty, too dangerous, or too boring for humans to do. And um, you know, that's definitely what we're seeing happening. But the thing about technology changing is that I think, you know, as we do lose more labor-driven jobs to robots, um, we're still going to have a whole world of new kinds of jobs that we can barely conceive of open up. And um, we actually have a feature in this book called Jobs of Tomorrow um, that outlines for kids who are thinking about this today, you know, what might kids in the future grow up and do? It's not going to be the same kinds of jobs that are out there now. So, you know, things like um, drone pilot, um, things like undersea medical researcher or uh, conservationist who uses um, technology to help save species. These are all totally new kinds of jobs that are, um, that are growing right now. That's, that's fascinating. It's, I'm curious about um, the clothing thing this book and and you talking about it today is the first time I've heard about smart clothes. Um, what are some other things that we haven't really imagined but will start making their way into everyday life? Um, one thing that I think that people don't spend a lot of time thinking about is... Um, well, everyday people anyway. There are a lot of very smart people thinking about this, but how we're going to feed the world as our population grows exponentially. And I think the way that we're going to do it is um, is surprising. One of the most popular solutions is that we transform to eating a more insect-based diet. Um, this is something that sounds totally gross and crazy to some people, uh, but there are people in all parts of the world that have been eating insects for a very long time. Um, insects are super nutritious, super high in protein. Um, they're very easy to grow. You know, you don't need a lot of space and sunlight. They love dark, cramped conditions. They don't need a lot of food and water. And um, they reproduce very quickly, which means you can get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of raising them. Um, and, you know, you might think like that just sounds way too gross to eat the crunchy legs, but there's a lot of companies that are doing things like turning crickets into flour that um, you can use to make basically anything you would use regular flour for. And um, so while you are eating bugs, it might not be exactly in the way that you might think. 
Um, and that's something that, uh, that might be a part of our future. And, you know, I've heard about that um, in some parts of the world. That that's, that's already begun. It's already um, considered part of, uh, part of people's diet. But with, with technology it's, as it's evolving, and, and we touched on this just, just very briefly a moment ago about alternative energy, and what kinds of things we might see in terms of alternative energy um, as technology evolves. And a lot of people who talk about wanting to get off the grid, for example, um, we think of them as going back to an agrarian time and, and doing things the way they used to do them to get off the grid. But there's a lot going on with technology that um, is off the grid as we know it. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, that, for example, solar technology has just increased so much that you can get your roof made from solar tiles that don't look like those big, ugly um, you know, squares that cover your roof. It just looks like a normal roof. Um, you can use that to power a whole house battery, um, and, and tons of people are already doing that. So I think the idea of being uh, not beholden to, you know, city power, maybe city water, depending on where you are, is pretty appealing. And, you know, that's coupled with the fact that technology enables people to work from wherever you no longer need to go to an urban area for a lot of jobs. Um, you can just telecommute. So I think, um, the idea of moving, uh, into like a more rural lifestyle is appealing to a lot of people. But like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going back in time and all becoming farmers again, although some people are doing that and they love it. Um, it just means that there are more possibilities for where you're not, you know, you're not beholden to uh, the regular ways of getting energy. How is that going to change cities? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that I've seen, you know, even just through the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people moving out of cities. That's probably a trend that will continue. Um, I think the other way that's going to uh, reshape cities is, if you think about it, cities are really not designed around people. They're designed around cars. Um, cities are designed around roads, and um, parking lots take up huge, huge areas. And as we move into the future, one of the things that um, is definitely going to change is the way we think about transportation. And the thought is that we'll really move away from this world in which everyone drives their own personal car and more towards, you know, flying cars, public transportation like high-speed trains and maybe fleets of driverless cars or even drones that, you know, can pick you up wherever you are and take you to where you need to go um, without you having to own a car at all. Um, and uh, so I think that, when people don't own cars, that's going to reshape our cities. What's going to happen to all of this, um, all these roadways and all of these, you know, miles of asphalt parking lots? And the hope is that they become more green spaces. 
um, areas where we can bring nature back into cities and improve our air quality, improve our quality of life, um, provide habitats for animals and insects to come in, um, and really sort of totally visually reshape what we think of as a city now. And you can already see this happening um, in a lot of big cities. You know, New York has converted a lot of its elevated train lines to our train tracks to, um, you know, garden areas where people can walk. So that's something that is actively happening. What about exploration beyond our planet? I, when, I, when I was a kid, and, and even still, people talk about going to Mars all the time. That, and that seems to be getting closer. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there are a bunch of companies that are really working towards going to Mars. I think the way the space industry is changing is that things are becoming more privatized. Um, it won't necessarily be NASA, but it would, might be um, a private company or NASA in conjunction with a private company to establish um, some kind of colony on Mars. And there are so many NASA missions um, now on the International Space Station that are devoted to figuring out um, everything we need to know to survive on Mars. So, for example, you know, what kind of effects does living in space long term have on the human body? Because the trip to Mars is, takes about two years. Um, and, you know, growing food, astronauts pretty recently grew um, vegetables on the space station for the first time and were able to eat the first space salad um, recycling every single drop of water because uh, Mars does not have readily available water. So that's something we'll have to bring with us, perhaps, and it's very heavy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so many current projects aimed at sort of solving all of those problems so that we can actually go to Mars in the near future. There were a lot of things that were um, projected as things that would you know, happen in the future. Can can you think of some that were um, almost sure bets that just never came to pass? And and I'm thinking of like jetpacks. And even though they've been experimented with, they never really turned into, uh, you know, a, a, a regular feature that anyone might have. Right, yeah, there are jetpacks in the book, but you're right, they're, um, they're prototypes, um, they're very expensive, you have to be very skilled to fly them, and it's not something that at least in, in soon is going to become available for the average person. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like that. One of, it was actually one of my favorite things to write about for this book was, you know, not the really cool things that are going to happen, although there's a ton of that, but what are the things that we thought we're going to be here, yeah. but are just a total fail. So we have, um, I have this whole feature in every chapter of the book called Future Fails, where I talk about, you know, uh, a technology for maybe the Jetsons or Star Trek that never came to be and why. So things like warp speed, anti-gravity, force fields, you know, these were like common technologies that you would see Teleportation. in Star Trek too. Teleportation, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's so the one that everybody's all, been you know, waiting for. <laughs> right, right. Wouldn't that be the dream? So, you know, um, there's a lot of things that 
thought we might be able to do, and there just were nowhere near having them. And then, of course, other things that we thought we might be able to have that never have that we do have. So, you know, it's, a, it's hard to predict the future. Well, I mentioned, like, <clears throat> Zoom and, and the idea, and a lot of these things, you know, we saw on Star Trek, and I, I find it really fascinating, and I, I imagine that you do too, Stephanie, um, how many of the designers of the things that we actually did end up getting, like cell phones, for example, modeled them after the communicators on Star Trek. I mean, they really looked like those. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in some cases they do, and in some cases they don't. But, yeah, I mean, what comes something that comes to mind is, uh, I believe it was on Star Trek, they had a sort of, like, instant healing device that you could, uh, that you could aim at an injury you got, and it would sort of fix you up right away. Um, and there are people who have tried to develop similar devices in a, with a similar look. Um, but as, as in those future fails we were talking about, that is something yeah. that we're just not, not very close to. That's, that's not working out so well. Um, but there are different ways of um, giving injections. Yeah, that's a really exciting one, especially for kids who, you know, everybody hates getting shots at the doctor, <laughs> but especially kids. And so I think kids would be excited to learn that there are a ton of scientists hard at work on making sure that you never have to have a needle in your arm again. Um, one of the coolest ones is this little patch that uh, can deliver a vaccine via a bunch of little microscopic needles that's so small that you can't feel them. So that's a pretty cool way to get a shot. Yeah, it is. You know, it's um, it's it's really amazing some of the things that are already happening but some of the things that are that are coming down the pike you, um the book includes things um like um bionics for example um artificial limbs and and you know used to be just a wooden leg and and now there there are these smart devices that can do all kinds of things um, and, and it's it's amazing in this book, National Geographic Kids: Ultimate Book of the Future, it takes a huge look um, forward at uh, well, an average day in the year 2050, and it's not science fiction; it's science reality, current uh, courtesy of uh, science writer. Stephanie Warren Drimmer, who is uh, is my guest. Stephanie, um, what are some of, were some of the fav your favorite things that got included in the book? Maybe something that you didn't know about until you were putting things together for this book. Oh my gosh! Pretty much everything I didn't know about <laughs> until I was researching it for this book. I I know very little about the vast universe that we live in. There's just so much cool stuff. But um, one of my favorite things was uh, ended up being a whole chapter in the book about devices that are modeled after animals or other uh, you know natural events. And um, I think the idea is uh, that. It's called biomimicry. The idea is that um, nature has been working on a lot of problems for millions of years, 
And instead of trying to start from the drawing board, maybe you should draw inspiration from nature. And so, for example, there's a super cool robot called the Hummingbot that is modeled after the way a hummingbird flies. Um, it's about the size of a hummingbird, and it, it looks like one uh, if you just caught a glimpse of it. And, um, you know, robots are the stunt flyers of the animal world. They can hover, they can fly backwards, and they can do that because they fly in a totally different way from any other bird. Um, their wings make like a figure eight as they're flying, which gives them basically twice the, the flying power. And so, um, yeah, rather than trying to develop a flying robot from scratch, these engineers thought, well, what if we just make it fly like a hummingbird? And, and that's what they've done and created this super cool, tiny robot um, capable of being super agile and going really fast, getting into tight spaces. So I think um, this technology that's, that's modeled after nature is some of, my, some of my personal favorite. Well, there's so much in this book, Ultimate Book of the Future from Nat Geo Kids, written uh, by Stephanie Drimmer. And Stephanie, uh, I, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but we're out of time. But I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do. It's just my name, stephaniedrimmer.com, um, and anybody is free to shoot me an email. I love to hear from readers. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. Take care. That was uh, Shemini, uh, Stephanie Warren Drimmer. She is a frequent contributor to National Geographic Kids Magazine and a prolific author of books about science and nature for kids. Um, and uh, the book is Ultimate Book of the Future from Nat Geo Kids. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Where are we going, Dr. Zarkov? Aaron and I discovered a room under the hall of atomic power, which stored scientific apparatus. With the help of slaves, we constructed my newest invention, didn't we, Baron? Yes, we did, friend Zarkov. I only hope this bull-headed monarch hasn't delayed us too long with his arguing. There isn't much time left to save the city. We are tipping over. How much further do we have to descend? We will be below the foundation in just a moment. What is this remarkable discovery, Wizard of the Earth? You shall see. You shall see. We are here. Hurry out, everyone. Hold fast to my hand, Dale. Oh, Flash, do you think Dr. Zarkov will be able to save us? I know he will do his best. There is my invention. What is that massive tubes and wires? This electrical machine is an atomic light solidifier. It'll strengthen the beam? Yes. Keep everybody back, Baron. I must have room to work. Stand back, everybody. Baron, do you think this machine will work? Be quiet. Professor Zarkov is throwing the switch. What is that weird bluish light? New rays made from the Adamsdale. Why, the city seems to be getting back on an even keel. By Powell, so it is! How is it working, friend Zarkov? Splendid so far. The light beams supporting the city are becoming stronger and stronger. Then the city is saved? The city is saved. By Powell, he has done it! All of you are free! Why, Dale, you're crying! I'm so happy we're saved! Zarkov, come here. He said he could do it, and he did. Yes, King Voltan, you summoned me? Zarkov, you shall be my head scientist. Voltan, this is more than I expect. I am grateful, deeply grateful, and appreciate the honor. Flash and Dale. Yes, impressive majesty. What is it, King Voltan? As proof of our future friendship, I shall give you a royal wedding tomorrow, and tonight we shall have a banquet to celebrate it. Are you having a good time, Dale? A wonderful time, Flash. It hardly seems possible that we shall be married tomorrow. I don't dare believe it until we are actually being married. Now, you mustn't feel that way, Dale. It's just nerve. Well, my friends, tomorrow will be the big day. I'm not so sure. Dale is just worrying about nothing, Baron. Hmm, it's almost tomorrow, Dale. What can happen now? During the excitement of the certain destruction of the city... The Princess Aura disappeared. Oh, is that all that worries you? I should think you would be glad she is not here. I am. Well, well, lovebirds, are you enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, thank you, impressive Majesty. Majesty? Majesty? Yes, what is it? The airship of Ming the Merciless is approaching the city. This means trouble. What did I tell you? There will be no wedding for us tomorrow. We will die fighting! No, Voltan. Let us take our chances on escaping. Give us a rocket ship. It's no use, Flash. They were damaged when the city tilted. His Universal Majesty, Emperor of Mongo, Ming the Merciless. And Princess Aura. Now there will be trouble. Steady, Dale, darling. There will be a way out of this. Greetings and welcome, Emperor Ming. So, Voltan, you have become friends with the prisoners. Turn over this Earthman to my torturers, 
and to me delivered my promised bride, Dale Arden. I command it. No, Father. You promised Flash Gordon to me as my share of the spoils. Hold, Ming. By the ancient laws of Mongo, by the sacred laws of the great Pau, who is all wise, I call for a tournament of death. A tournament? And this fellow Flash Gordon would enter? Yes. A tournament. Then all the planet would see him fail and die. So be it. Between four mountains nestled a massive bowl-shaped arena toward which most of Mongo pulls the never-ending streams to the tournament of death in which all of the contestants but one will meet death. And Flash Gordon is going to enter. He and Dale occupy seats of honor in Volton's box. Princess Aura enters the arena on a golden throne carried by six blue dragon men. Here comes Aura in all her glory. She is vile, treacherous, and cruel. <laughs> that, my boy, is a beauty. Oh, I don't know about that. Here comes Drewbridge, king of the lion men. The dragon men are frightened by the lions. They've dropped the princess. Ah, stay where you are, my boy. Prince Baron is already picking her up. She seems to be smiling at him. I wonder what she's saying. Prince Baron, you've saved my life. Why did you do it after the way I treated you? Because, my princess, you are a woman. A beautiful woman. And I can no longer deny the fact that I love you. But whatever it is she's saying, I wish she would get interested in somebody else and leave you alone, Flash. The tournament is about to begin, Flash. There is your horse. Here, take this sword, my boy. It's the one with which I became King of the Hawkmen. Take it and justify my faith in you. And my faith, too. Thanks, darling. And thank you, Volton. I will do my best. In another box, Prince Baron reaches a decision. Zarkov, I am going to enter the tournament and win back my kingdom and Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, for my bride. Do not be a fool, Prince Baron. Why do you risk being killed? Wish me luck, my friend. I go to do battle. It is a battle royale with every horseman for himself. As the battle rages around him, Flash is beset by two yellow guardsmen. He vanquishes one, and as he is attacked by the other, he falls from his horse. Before the yellow man can drive home a death thrust, a masked rider saves Flash, and the first great test of the Tournament of Death ends. A banquet is held for the survivors. Are you sure you're all right, Flash? Why, of course, Dale. If it hadn't been for that masked fighter, you would be dead now. Oh, why did you enter this horrible tournament? To win freedom, a kingdom, and what's more important, you. My dear. Look, the masked fighter is with Princess Aura. Ah, the masked champion. Are you a criminal fearing arrest, or a noble fearing recognition? Blue blood. Or red, my lady, it will flow in the arena just as freely for your amusement. Here, wear this scarf as a token, but do not stain it with your blood. Fair lady, a kiss from your gorgeous lips, and I would face the legions of Pau. Insolent one! <laughs> I would have you tortured. You cannot punish the living dead of the tournament. 
Goodbye, you beautiful devil. I go to fight for your hand. That masked champion, I swear I know his voice. The call has sounded. I must go back to the fight. Goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, and good luck, my darling. Oh, King Voltan, when will this awful tournament end? I know it seems horrible to you, little bird, but it is better that Flash should die honorably in the field of battle than at the hands of Ming's torturers. If he wins this final event, he will be a king, and you will be his queen. The trumpets blow and the last contestants line up. Two by two, they mount the sky rope stretched over a flaming pool to joust with swords, and one after another, they are eliminated by death. Finally, only Flash Gordon and the masked champion are left. Flash loses his balance and falls down toward the flaming pool, but his hand catches hold of the rope and he hangs on. The masked champion, thrown off balance, all but falls, but saves himself by grasping Flash Gordon's legs. His mask falls off, revealing Prince Baron. The crowd demands that both men shall live, and they are brought before Vulton and Ming the Merciless. None of your trickery, Ming. You will proclaim them both kings. So be it. But I shall choose their kingdoms. To Prince Baron and my daughter, Aura, I give the kingdom of the forest. To Flash Gordon and the Earth Girl, I give the kingdom of the caves. You fiend! You know neither kingdom has been conquered. True, Voltan. But these are brave men. Let them try. They can hold their weddings in their own kingdoms. If they live that long. This concludes our recreation of the first four episodes of the 1935 radio serial Flash Gordon. This series was recorded in the Tom Sumner Program studio featuring the voice of Sean Cantwell as Flash Gordon and Volton. Rhonda Groves Young played Dale Arden and Princess Aura. Randy Zimmerman played Zarkoff and Thun. Prince Baron was played by Dane Walling. Listen for more adaptations of old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Tom Sumner saying thanks for listening. Program, don't you know? Go on.
Come on, get out of here. <laughs>